want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. It's on page 885 of our Pew Bibles, Luke 24. Uh, This um, Easter season, um, we're considering the glory of Christ. Let me begin reading God's word from Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 25. This is the word of God. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the living word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, we thank you for uh, these gospel accounts, true accounts. Uh, of Christ's resurrection from the grave. Father, may they not just be historical accounts, dead history in our hearts and minds, but pray that your word, um, Father, would show the glory of Christ. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. On June 28, 1919, so that would almost be a hundred years ago. World War I officially ended with the signing of the Treaty of Versailles. Now, the armistice with Germany had already been signed on November 11th, 1918, 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. You know, but consider all the devastation, destruction, and deaths that our world suffered. In the Great War, it was called the War to End All Wars. You know, it's estimated conservatively that at least 8 million soldiers died. 
at least 7 million um, civilian deaths. It's a costly peace for Germany, uh, but the, the world celebrated the conclusion of this costly war. But the soil had barely settled on innumerable graves when World War II broke out in 1939 with Germany's invasion of Poland. You know, it seems that even the good news of the end of military warfare and hateful hostility is a short-lived period of peace. You know, but here in God's word in this 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we, we hear this glorious and gracious news that the Lord has risen indeed. Uh, This glad news of Christ's conquest over sin and death by his resurrection from the grave uh, should never grow stale. This should never be dead history to us for those who are trusting in Christ. For here in Luke 24, we see uh, the gospel reality of Christ's resurrection It gives us as believers an an undying assurance of salvation. Well, how can believers know this undying assurance of salvation in Christ? It begins with the Lord's gracious rebuke of his followers, then their their gospel rebuke, then there's a gracious revelation, and finally a, a glorious resurrection account. So I would invite you to uh, follow along in, in God's word, Luke chapter 24, as we begin with this gospel rebuke by Jesus. Uh, it, it's helpful here to um, understand this setting in Luke 24, so let me give a, a quick overview here of this chapter of scripture. It's later in the afternoon on that first resurrection Sunday, you remember At the break of dawn on that first resurrection Sunday, the women went to Jesus' tomb um, at early dawn with their prepared spices for Jesus' dead body, and they surprisingly discovered that the, the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. They did not find the body of Jesus, but two angels in dazzling apparel appeared to them. Uh, These angels first asked them a question and then spoke words of assurance to them. You know, but when Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother, the Mary of James, and the other women returned to tell the apostles, they did not believe them. In Luke 24, verse 11, we read, But these words seemed to them, this is to the apostles, the disciples, these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. You know, they considered it crazy talk, nonsense. You know, you're you're telling us a fairy tale. Uh, But then we see Peter running uh, to Jesus' tomb only to find it empty. You know, except for Jesus' slightly used grave clothes. You know, now two followers of Christ are headed away from Jerusalem. Uh, They're returning to Emmaus. Emmaus is a small village about seven miles west of Jerusalem. Uh, You you can almost hear the despair, discouragement, and doubt in their voices on this Resurrection Sunday. 
You know, even when Jesus lovingly drew near to them, the Bible tells us that their eyes were kept from recognizing them. And as Jesus started to engage them in gospel conversation, one of them, named Cleopas, uh, pours out his heart to the still unrecognized and risen Lord and, and listen to his recital of the facts. You know, he, he, he knows the history, you know, but, but his heart isn't there yet. Here in Luke 24, beginning with verse 19, the latter part. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and a word, and mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as a woman had said, but him they did not see. You know, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. You know, at this point, they are hopeless, hurting. They're, they're wondering in their heart of hearts, you know, was this all, you know, just a fabrication, a story? You know, is the gospel true? You know, did Jesus Christ, yes, we know he really died on the cross, but did he really rise again from the grave? This is the third day. No sight of the Savior. You know, and they're heavy-hearted. And now pick it up here in verse 25, Luke 24, verse 25. Jesus gives a gospel rebuke. He speaks gospel truth in love to these feeble followers. O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. You know, imagine for a moment Jesus saying that to you or to me. O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. Foolish. You know, you're clueless about Christ, you're scripturally ignorant. You're slow of heart to believe. You're slow to comprehend the scriptures, slow to act in faith. The message puts it this way, so thick-headed and so slow-hearted. I believe that could be a rebuke to us today, a rebuke to me today. But Jesus moves from that rebuke, gospel rebuke, to a gospel reminder in verse 26. He asks a question, uh, but he asks it in such a way that, that he expects a positive response. You know, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? A reminder of Jesus' real suffering for our sins. Talked about it for, for a bit on Thursday night, the Monday Thursday, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. 
Hebrews 2, verse 9, but we see him, that is Christ, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. But next, Jesus assures them of the Messiah's glory, suffering then glory. You know, that, that, that was a pattern for Jesus' life. I believe it's a pattern for our walk of faith as well. You know, sufferings, but the promise of glory. You know, we, we see that glory. We heard of that glory in Revelation 5. The Lamb is worthy to receive all power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So Jesus goes from the rebuke to a reminder, and now Jesus begins to preach. Luke 24, verse 27, a gospel sermon. Listen to Jesus the preacher. You know, Charles Haddon Spurgeon has been called the prince of preachers. Well, if he was the prince of preachers, then Jesus must be the king of preachers. Jesus begins, began with the book of Moses, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus begins with the book of Moses, you know, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and all the prophets, that, that really is the other 34 books of the Old Testament. You know, in this scriptural sermon, he, quote, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Interpreted. He, he plainly explained, you know, the, the prophecies about the Messiah in, in each of the 39 books of the Old Testament. And you may think, well, that probably took a while. Well, if you, you do a little bit of the math, Emmaus is about seven miles from Jerusalem. You walk about three miles an hour. Jesus preached at least two hours. No, don't worry. I'm not proposing that we uh, start doing that. At, uh, Jesus can do that, uh, preach like that. And uh, I'm sure they wanted to hear more. You know, but but imagine hearing that sermon. You know, I, I'm I'm hoping, praying, believing that when we're in heaven, we're going to hear that sermon. Matthew Henry put it this way: a golden thread of gospel grace runs through the whole web of the Old Testament. Well, what scriptures might Jesus have preached on? And again, it's a little bit of scriptural speculation. But he might have preached from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first announcement of the gospel. Genesis 3, verse 15. This is God himself speaking to Adam and Eve. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Well, he's speaking to the serpent, to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The seed of the woman, and Jesus is fully, truly man, would 
crush the head of the serpent. You know, where else might Jesus have preached from? Might have preached from Numbers chapter 21, you know, where that bronze serpent is lifted in the wilderness and all the people who look to it that have been bitten by the snakes lived. Might have preached from Isaiah. I'm sure he preached from Isaiah. You know, thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7 or Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. I believe he preached from Isaiah chapter 53. Now here are just a few verses. Isaiah 53, speaking of the Son of Man, Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed. For our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Just, I believe Jesus went through the Psalms, highlighting the Messianic Psalms. Maybe. I'm sure he preached through Haggai, studying that in Sunday school. This, this all points us ahead to Christ. J.C. Ryle reminds us, let us mark in these verses how full the Old Testament is of Christ. Christ was the substance of every Old Testament sacrifice ordained in the law of Moses. But it started with a gospel rebuke. I thought about that officiated at a, a wedding down at Vermilionville a few weeks ago. Newlyweds are here. I didn't know they were going to be here, but uh, Catherine Brooks was a musician. She had a heavy keyboard, and we needed to get it down to the chapel, and uh, I didn't feel like lugging it that far, so Lynn and Catherine and I uh, drove it down to the chapel, down these nice paved pathways, well, two of the staff people there at Vermilionville um, greeted us, greeted me with a pretty stern rebuke um, for driving on their paved pathways, and maybe you're different, but I don't like getting rebuked. Uh, but uh, I knew I was in the wrong, and uh, I believe all was forgiven. They came back later and transported us back in a golf cart, you know, but here Jesus firmly rebuked his disciples before he he faithfully preached the gospel sermon about suffering and the now glorified Christ uh, who is revealed in all of the Old Testament. You know, so the first lesson here for us is this, so As disciples of Christ, let us read and study all of God's word. It it all points to Christ. Yes, to Christ's suffering. And then Christ who will enter into his glory. 
But then there's a gracious revelation of Jesus, uh, beginning now in verse 23. Uh, now this traveling party of two disciples, one risen redeemer, uh, they, they draw near to the village of Emmaus. Jesus puts on the appearance uh, that he is going to continue down the road, but, but he knows that uh, these followers will ask him to stay. And we hear that gracious invitation. They urged him strongly, stay with us. Night is beginning to fall on this Resurrection Sunday. And these two followers of Christ, and it could could have been a married couple. Uh, We know one is Cleopas. We don't know the name of the other one. Uh, But they show fruit of their Christian faith with this hospitality to the stranger. You know, so Jesus accepted their gracious invitation. And as was his holy habit, we'll we'll see a gracious revelation. He's at the table with them. You know, he takes the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, verse 31, and they recognized him. You know, that, that was Jesus' habit, taking bread, blessing it, giving thanks for it, breaking it. You know, we we hear similar language in Matthew chapter 14, verse 19, when Jesus feeds the crowd of 5,000, breaking the bread. Although I don't believe it's a miracle here. We ought not to believe that this is a communion meal either. Few parallels here. But there is no wine, and the language is a little bit different than uh, the language we hear in the Lord's Supper. You know, but, but when Jesus simply blesses and breaks the bread, look what happens. Their, their eyes were opened. You know, he caused their eyes to be opened, and they recognized him. You know, he, he had been walking with them, talking with them, preaching to them for two hours. And, and by God's grace, in this perfect timing, that they, they recognized Jesus. You know, he, he caused their eyes to be open. And they know now beyond a shadow of a doubt that the risen Christ was the one who had walked with them, talked with them, preached the word, and now supped with them. You know, and the question is, how did they recognize that this was their living Lord, their risen Redeemer? You know, some suggest it may have been his voice or his personal mannerisms in breaking the bread. You know, I, I believe there, there are two other ways that they might have recognized him. You know, one, when he broke the bread, they saw his hands. You know, they, they saw the scars, the nail scars in his hands. But another way, it, it was the work of the Holy Spirit at that point, you know, working in their hearts, you know, opening up their eyes so that they could see that this was not just a man, this was the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus. But then in the next breath, he, he vanished from their sight. He ceased to be seen by them. A little bit of mystery here, but it, it's the freedom of Christ's resurrection body. It's, it's tangible. He's not a spirit. It's not Casper the ghost. 
He took the bread, he broke the bread, but then he vanished from their sight. But hear their gracious response, and now we're, we're, we're moving to the core of all of this. You know, what's their response? Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? You know, what does it mean for believers to have burning hearts? We're burning with love for Christ. Our hearts are filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit. That's a symbol of the Holy Spirit, that that fire. And our hearts are filled with that fire of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a hint of God's holy judgment as well with fire. You know, what, what a gracious transformation of faith, you know, here in this short time. Remember back to... Uh, Verse 25, Jesus rebuked them, O slow of heart to believe, and now they have burning hearts. Slow of heart did not mean they they were not yet trusting in Christ. I believe Jesus knew he was speaking to to believers, to Christians. But these were believers who had slow hearts. You know, they're, they're staying in first gear, or they, they have it in park, not moving anywhere, not growing. And here we see them with burning hearts. And the burning hearts come after their eyes were opened and they recognize Christ. I would submit to you that that's the reason why our hearts don't burn. No, we don't. Do not hear the word of God. It's not soaking in to our hearts and minds. We're not seeing Christ at work in all of scripture. You know, when did their hearts begin to burn? While he opened to us the scripture. You know, if we desire to have those burning hearts, if that's our prayer, our passion, here's the key. You know, it's in the word of God. As it points to the person and work of Christ. R.C. Sproul reminds us here, you know, how can we hear the story of the resurrection of Christ with a cold heart? I believe I've told this account before, but it's worth telling again about the gospel conversion or the burning heart of John Wesley, a godly forefather of the faith in the, in the Methodist tradition. You know, and these are words from his own journal. He said, on the evening of May 24, 1738, John Wesley, and keep in mind these are his words, went very unwillingly uh, to a society, that's like a prayer meeting, a church meeting, in Aldersgate Street in London, where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. While he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. 
I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. You know, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, as we're gathered together on this Resurrection Sunday, my my prayer for you all, my prayer for me, you know, is that Christ would open our eyes anew and afresh so that we would see Christ, that he would open up his word in ever greater ways so that we would have burning hearts for Christ. You know, hearts that rejoice in the forgiveness of sins because of Christ's death on the cross. Hearts that readily give witness to a real faith in our risen Savior. You know, a gracious revelation of Jesus. But but we're not done yet. The last section here. Uh, There's a glorious resurrection of the Lord. Uh, So we start off with that gospel rebuke by Jesus and a gracious revelation of Jesus. And now a a glorious resurrection of the Lord, verse 33. Uh, They rose, those two followers of Christ rose at that same hour. Presumably it's, it's evening, early evening at least. Returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11, uh, the 11 disciples question whether Thomas was there or not. We know that Judas was gone. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together. And what's their response? Saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. You know, if Jesus preached a sermon going through all of Moses and the prophets, Uh, This, too, is a sermon, really just a a one-sentence sermon. You know, the Lord has risen indeed, or the New American Standard, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. You know, this gospel truth stands at the center of our Christian faith. You know, although Jesus was crucified... Killed by the hands of lawless men. You know, the word of God tells us that God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Acts 2, verse 24. You know, our resurrected Savior gives us the real hope of redemption. Forgiveness. The Lord appeared to Simon, to Peter. Peter who denied him three times. Peter who may have thought, well, Lord, I'm I'm past hope. You know, I I know you can't forgive me for this. And, And here scripture reminds us that the Lord has risen, risen indeed, appeared to Peter. You know, the reality of Christ's resurrection, it's not a myth or a wish fulfillment or great fiction. You know, five assurances. Go through these quickly. Five assurances for those who believe in Christ's resurrection. You know, first, we have the assurance of the truth of Scripture. All of Scripture points us to God's promise of a Savior in Christ. 
You know, good thing to keep in mind as you're reading through the Bible, going through the book of Leviticus. You know, all of Scripture is true. You know, secondly, it's the assurance of Christ's conquest of sin and death. Because Christ rose again, you know, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ conquered sin and death and the grave. And he will not abandon our souls to Sheol. Third, we have the assurance of forgiveness of sins. Romans 4 verse 25 puts it this way. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You know, the, the resurrection of Christ you know, it gives us that, that gospel assurance. Fourth, you know, the, the assurance of our salvation. You know, some of these may overlap, but, but hear the word of God. You know, in First Peter, First Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You know, because of Christ's resurrection, we have that, that assurance of salvation. But finally, the assurance of our own resurrection. You know, Christ was the first fruits from the grave. You know, that, that promise that, you know, when you offer up the first fruits, that more fruit is to follow. You know, this gospel reality of Christ's resurrection gives believers undying assurance of salvation. Close with this. Uh, Charles Wesley, uh, the brother of John Wesley, just found this out. Actually, he was the 18th of 19 children. Imagine that. But Charles Wesley, um, younger brother of John Wesley, wrote about 6,500 hymns, give or take a few. You know, he wrote the words of that first hymn that we sang on this Resurrection Sunday. You know, Christ the Lord is risen today. You know, here again to that, that last verse, verse 5. Hail the Lord of earth and heaven. Alleluia. Praise to thee by both be given, by both earth and heaven. Alleluia. Thee we greet, triumphant now. Alleluia. Hail the resurrection thou. Alleluia. You know, as we close this resurrection day sermon and service, you know, I would ask you, ask myself, where's, where's your heart today? You know, where's your heart today? Would Jesus say to you or to me, you know, you're you're slow of heart? Or do you have a burning heart? A heart burning with love for scriptures and a risen Savior? 
a heart filled with praise of your risen Lord, a heart ready to tell others that that the Lord graciously opened your eyes, graciously called you from the tomb of death and brought you into everlasting life through faith in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you and praise you for your gracious work of salvation. Thank you that um, you appeared, you, you showed your glory and grace not only to those first followers, disciples, women. Lord, thank you that we can see your glory and grace, your greatness, goodness to us in your word. And Lord, I I pray that our hearts might be burning with love for Christ and ever-growing love for Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.